You're not here by accident. You're here for a reason. Thank you so much for being here. We're in WOW Part 2. This is our summer series. And just, hey, the premise behind this series is this. As we read in Scripture and we find God's truth, there's things that just we, we read and we're like, wow. And it, we just get amazed by what we read. We get amazed by what God says. We get amazed by what God has done. So we're just going to let some things wow us this summer as we're together. And today we're going to talk specifically about something where this word and the word I'm about to share with you just don't seem to go together. And the word is this, problems, right? We don't tend to think about, we don't tend to go wow with pleasure or wow with amazement or wow with wonder when we have problems. In fact, we we. we struggle with how to deal with problems. We struggle with why we have problems. And yet so much of us, life is always going to be a series of dealing with problems. It's going to be a series of how do we handle problems and how do we face problems. And there's not a person I'm talking to that hasn't had or will not or is not going to have or is not in the middle of problems, right? And, and there's another problem with problems. Problems can also cause problems with you and God. Problems can cause problems with you and your family or you and your spouse or you and your loved ones. So it's not just the problem we're facing, but sometimes it's the problem we're facing causes problems with relationships, whether it's vertical, you and God, or horizontal, you and the people in your life. But today we're going to share a wow And the wow is not going to have to do so much with the problems we face per se, but rather the perspective with which we face our problems. And so we're going to work on this word right here, perspective. And I think from God's word, we're going to get a wow truth that's going to help us navigate our problems. Now, full disclosure, uh, you know, as a pastor and all of our pastors and elders at Rockbridge could, could speak to this. But as a pastor, you know, we, we spend a good portion of time helping people or praying with people that are facing certain problems. And I, I don't know why this is other than the sovereignty of God or providence of God. But here lately, there's been a lot of rock bridgers that, that have shared things with me, whether it's at Bond Life Coffee in Cleveland or over text or email or in conversations uh, that the way that they're facing their problems leaves me going, wow. And, and that sort of, sort of, they've sort of helped whether they know it or not, and I'm not going to go into their details of their story. I'm just honored that they shared a little bit of it with me. But uh, they're a little bit of the inspiration behind what we're going to talk about because whether the problem is caused by you know, something going wrong in their body that, that the doctors are dealing with, or the problem is a tragedy of, of despicable proportions that they had to walk through uh, at some journey or some point in their life, or, or, or their problem is related to something else. The perspective with which God has helped them arrive at is, is absolutely a wow perspective. And so I just want to pray for all of us. I want to pray for these folks. I, I want to pray for those of you that I don't know the problems you're facing. And then I just want to pray then that God's word would wow us and give us a perspective that is absolutely supernatural and absolutely of him. So would you join with me, all of our campuses, we pray together. God, I, I, I love you. God, I love you. I, I love you. And I thank you, God, that I could not say that had you not loved me first uh, in my sin and in my problems, most of which are of my own making. 
God, I thank you, though, that when we're in our problems, there is the potential to come to see you more clearly and know you better. And God, I just want to pray for folks that are within the sound of my voice, online, six physical locations, that, God, they're dealing with, they're facing a problem. Uh, Some are not facing a problem today, but they might be tomorrow. That's just life in a broken world. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm just going to invite you to have your way in me. I'm going to invite you, God, to have your way in every person that's listening, that you would give us eyes to see this truth from your word, that you would give us ears to hear it, that you would give us a heart where this truth could find a home, and that this could bring peace, this could bring hope, this could bring joy in the midst of problems. So, God, for everybody that's dealing with a diagnosis, for every marriage that's struggling, for every person, God, that may be tempted but to give up due to discouragement or just a sense of defeat, for every person facing a problem, I'm inviting in the name of Jesus the Holy Spirit to accompany the teaching, the preaching of your incredible word, God. And so, God, just have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' mighty, holy, and amazing name we pray. Amen and amen. So to help us get to this wow perspective, we're going to journey with, with, with a young girl or, or, or a, a young girl in, in the kingdom of Persia. Her name is Esther, and it's a very amazing story. It's an easy book of the Bible to read. Uh, we're going to jo- join Esther and her uncle Mordecai in Esther chapter 4. I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. okay? Uh, Esther is a Jewish a Jewish girl, and she basically wins a beauty pageant to become the new queen of the pagan king while the Jews are in exile in, the, in Persia. And uh, so she becomes the queen, and at the same, around the same time, there's this, uh, <clears throat> this guy named Haman, and he concocts a plan to enact genocide throughout the kingdom uh, of the Persians and have every Jew uh, murdered, have every Jew killed, have every Jew wiped out. And uh, so in the midst of this problem, we, we're going to get this wow perspective. And this is where we join the story in Esther chapter 4. So Mordecai is her uncle, and he learned all that had occurred. He learned the plan of Haman to have the Jews eradicated. So he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and crowd, cried Excuse me, loudly and bitterly. So that's what problems do, right? They disturb us, they shake us, they cause us to grieve, they cause us to mourn. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict reached because they just heard they are going to be wiped out. They fasted which is a way of seeking God, they wept and they lamented. Lamented is a great biblical concept of how to handle grief where you take grief to God. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so let me just say this at the beginning because this illustrates a great point. We can feel our problems without losing faith because of them. It is absolutely okay for the people of God to weep, to cry, to mourn, to lament. In fact, lament is the biblical way of handling grief and problems. Lament is where we can go to God in our absolute rawness, with raw emotion, with raw feeling, and we can give God our grief, and we can cry out to God 
and ultimately not lose faith. Because a lot of us, what happens with problems is our faith is the first thing that gets put on the chopping block. Our faith is the first thing that begins to falter. Our faith is the first thing where we just like, God, why are you, and why didn't you, and why won't you, and why do I have this problem? Okay, Lament is where we don't lose faith, but we do take our problems to the God that we have faith in. And the reason we need to understand lament, and this is a beautiful picture of it, and we'll see it continue through the story, is because at all costs, we have got to avoid resentment and bitterness. And that, that's a whole sermon, a whole series of sermons in itself. But we have, if you are resentful and bitter, you have got to at least recognize that is never ever the will of God for you. No matter if you are justified in feeling the way you feel, no matter if you are the one that was wronged, no matter if you are the victim of that, we cannot allow our lives to be ruled by resentment and bitterness. And when we understand biblical lament, when we understand that, and the Psalms are a great source of of material for understanding biblical lament, Esther chapter 4 is as well, biblical lament protects us from resentment and bitterness because biblical lament keeps us at the throne of God where we find grace and mercy. So Mordecai is in this posture of lament, and so he decides to make the queen Esther, she's Jewish, make her know of this problem. So we pick it up back in verse, uh, verse 8 where it says, Mordecai gave him, he's given uh, this guy named Hathak a, a copy of the edict. He gives him a copy of the written decree that was issued in Susa, ordering the destruction, their destruction, the destruction of the Jews, so that Hathak might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. So Mordecai is, 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 is thinking, hey, we have an insider. We have a Jewish person in a position of power, and so she can go and she can intercede and she can get the king to reverse the edict. She can reveal to the king the diabolical plot of basically the prime minister, Haman, and, and perhaps this is how the Jewish people can be saved. And so, Hathak takes this edict and and takes this news and comes to Esther, and he came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. And so Esther gets a chance to respond. She's presented with the problem. So she spoke to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai. And here's what she says. All the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that, that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned the death penalty. So if I go to the king without the king asking for me, I can be killed. I can be murdered. So she sees the problem of the Jewish people, not through the Jewish people lens, but through the me, myself, and I lens, right? And unless the king extends the gold scepter, which allows that person to live. And she says, furthermore, I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. So Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. So so here's the situation. Esther is is coming back with this perspective. Remember, the problem is made worse when our perspective is the problem, right? So Mordecai, so Esther comes back and she says, maybe she's, I'm powerless. I can't approach the king. Maybe, maybe she's a little bit selfish. 
Maybe she thinks because she is the queen, this edict against the Jews won't apply to her. Maybe she's fearful, and maybe it's all of the above. But here's what we can say for sure. Something is missing from her perspective. She's not looking at this problem the way that we should look at, at, at a problem. And, and so Mordecai is now going to coach her. Mordecai is going to correct her. And listen to what he says. So we go to verse 13. Mordecai told the messenger to, to reply to Esther, Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews just because you were in the king's palace. So we need to correct how you're looking at this, Esther, because you're looking at it correctly. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. So somehow, Mordecai, who's weeping and lamenting, he's not hopeless. He hasn't given up hope. So somehow... Mordecai, who's in sackcloth and ashes, who's grieving, who's facing a problem of epic, epic, epic proportions, has not given up that the best is yet to come, has not given up that God's promises to God's chosen people, the Jewish people, will, will be made for nothing. So he, he believes deliverance will come, but he says to Esther, listen, if you don't, you and your father's family will be destroyed. So in not so uncertain terms, Mordecai says to Esther, hey, Esther, your perspective is a problem. And, and let me share this with you from a, from a personal and a pastoral perspective. If we are not looking at our problems the right way, that will make all of our problems worse than they should be, worse than they could be. And so, because we don't obviously, sometimes we lack a theology of problems, if you will, because we don't understand God's role, God's spot, God's place, how problems fit into God's plan, all of that stuff, then our perspective tends to exasperate our problems. We react foolishly. We react selfish, selfishly. We react impulsively. We get governed by paralysis or governed by fear or governed by inertia and a whole sort of other things. And so Mordecai is saying to Esther, Esther, you can't think about this problem. You can't think about this problem the way you are. Now, I'll share with you two things that are missing from Esther's perspective that tend to be the same two things that are missing from my perspective when my perspective is a problem that makes my problems worse, okay? First problem with Esther's perspective is this. What's missing, number one, is God's Word. God's Word. So the question we have to ask is how does, how does Mordecai say so confidently that, hey, deliverance will come from the Jews? Well, he can say that because God's made a promise to the Jewish people. He started that promise in Genesis 3 when he tells Eve, from your seed will come one, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, who will strike the head of the serpent, who will strike the head of the deceiver. He knows from God's word that God made a promise to Abraham, that God made a promise to Moses, that God made a promise to King David, that a Jewish 
person and the Jewish lineage would produce the Messiah. So if all the Jews are wiped out, then God's promises would fail. And Mordecai knows God's promises don't fail. Now, Mordecai doesn't know how God's going to get them out of this. Mordecai doesn't know how God's going to deliver. Mordecai doesn't know what exactly God's going to do, but he knows God's going to do something. Esther is not looking at her problem through the lens of God's Word. See, oftentimes, the first place we go when we have a problem is our own interpretation, our own understanding, our our own paradigm. When the first place we should go is, what does God's Word say about my problem, and how can God's Word frame my perspective on this problem? So that's missing, right? That's missing from Esther's perspective. The second part that's missing from her perspective is God's character. God's character. Specifically, as we're going to see in a second, His sovereignty. His sovereignty is just God's always in charge. God never has lost control. Now, he does give free creatures free will to make free decisions, and sometimes we make dumb decisions. Sometimes we make evil decisions, but God has not lost control. And that's the sovereignty of God uh, attribute. The second part of his sovereignty is his providence, that God can use choices that sinful people, pagan people, Christian people, people people make, he can use that, their, their choices to bring about his purposes. It's crazy. It's, we, would, we might call it coincidence, but it's, it's mysterious. It's miraculous, but it's amazing that God can have people in the right place at the right time, and he can use that to bring about his sovereign purposes, that God can use pagan people to bring about, his, bring about what he wants to bring about. And yeah, they choose freely, but God knows how they're going to choose. And somehow in his sovereignty and his use of providence, God can do a lot of things. Esther doesn't see this attribute of God. Now, let me say this. When you face a problem, not only do you need to know God's word, you also need to know something about God's character. So, for example, if you are overcome with guilt and shame because you have a sin problem, right, you need to know that part of God's character is he is merciful and he is gracious, and you, that's how, because if you don't look at your problem through the lens of God's grace and mercy, you will quickly go to hopelessness. You will quickly go to despair. And instead of running to God, you'll run away from God. So we got to know God's character. If you're facing a decision, and that decision is so big, and you know if you make the wrong decision, and there's no chapter and verse for you in making that decision, but if you make the wrong decision, it could cause a big problem. You need to know that God is an all-wise God. You need to understand the wisdom of God. So, so you not only need to know what God has said and what God has promised in His Word, I've got to know God's character and lean into that aspect of His character. Because here is the, the wow truth. And this is the truth that so many rock bridgers of late have blessed me with because I, I, I've seen this in you, 
okay? And, and here's what Mordecai is saying in, in a timeless fashion that speaks to you and I thousands of years after this. And this is what blows my mind. And, and when, I, when I wrote this down or read this and, and said, hey, this is going to be the main point of this sermon here for WOW Part 2, it blessed me, it caused me to worship God, and I'm praying right now in the name of the G- Father, Son, Holy Spirit that God helps you with this. Because here's the wild truth that Mordecai realized. And he says, now let's go back to what he said. He said, listen, Esther, God is going to deliver the Jews. God has not been surprised by this. He's sovereign. God's purposes will prevail. He's sovereign. And so here's the wild truth. Here's the wild truth. Before we face a problem, God already has a plan. God was not surprised by it. Before we face a problem, God has a plan. You need to write that somewhere where because you may not be in problem zone or problem season right now, but you could be tomorrow or the next day or five months from now. This needs to become a lock screen where we go to when we have a problem. Because if you don't, your mind is going to go somewhere dangerous and deceptive. If you don't, your faith is going to falter. If, it, if you don't, your hope is going to wane. If you don't, you're going to look at God, not through the, wow, God, you've always, you have a plan. You're going to look at God with doubt and suspicion, perhaps anger. If you don't understand this wild truth, there is a high risk that you will slip into resentment and bitterness, and you will live your life just constantly resentful and bitter. And the people around you, they'll just not. I don't know what got in, and it could be a problem that you never dealt with 25 years ago, but you'll just walk around with that resentfulness and that bitterness, and it'll just come out at odd times and odd places, and it won't make, getting bitter doesn't get you better. So write it down. Before we face a problem, God has a plan. Now let's just blow this up and magnify this for just a minute, Okay. Because this right here is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done. And the reason Jesus had to do something that I cannot do, could not do, which is die in my place, pay the penalty of my sin, propitiate the wrath of God, satisfy the justice of God. The reason I could not do all that. But listen, before we face the sin problem, God had a plan. Listen to this verse. Take this truth and listen to this verse. Let it, let it cause us to worship him right now. Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him. So he's talking to the church. He's talking to people who are born again. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. And then it goes on. If you go to verse 5, it'll talk about adopting us and how it gave good God good pleasure. So here's what that means. God knew. Because he can't not know. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. God knew what Adam and Eve would do. God knew what you would do on spring break. God knew what you would do in your first marriage. God knew you would be greedy. God knew you would have an anger problem. God knew you would have a porn problem. God knew I would have a pride problem. And we could just go on and on and on and on and on. 
But before we had a problem, God had a plan to make it all right. And it's his sovereign plan, and it's his providential plan, and it's his good plan, and it's his gracious plan. It's the way God works. Now, one of the things that helps me is when I understand the total trajectory of how God is working in the world, it helps me understand the plan of God. Now, what do I mean by the total trajectory? There's four major movements of how God's working how he has worked, how he is working, and how he will work. This is how you can read the Bible as, an, as, a, as a whole. There's just, there, the, the Bible fits into one of these four categories. Life makes sense when you understand this. I, I call this a Christian or a biblical worldview. It's how to explain the world, why we're here, what's wrong with us, who we are, what can be done to fix us, all those problems that we ask, whether it's a midlife crisis that causes us to ask, it's becoming a teenager that causes us to ask these questions, or a problem causes us to ask these questions. And when you understand this is how God's working in one of these four movements, you, can, you, can under, you get a perspective that doesn't enslave you. It's actually a perspective that liberates you and allows you to face a problem with the right perspective, a perspective of hope. So the first movement of God is creation. That's essentially Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That's how we got here. God spoke. God created. God made us male and female. He created us. He blessed us. He gave us a purpose. He gave us significance. He gave us community. He gave us marriage. He gave us the right to walk with him. He created the air. He created the atmosphere. He put this planet on its axis at such and such a distance from the sun so it would support human life and support biology and that we could grow stuff to feed ourselves and drink water to hydrate ourselves. All of that's creation. Genesis 3 is fall. We said God will do it our way. We said no thank you to God, and so brokenness came into the world. So, I, listen, I do ask why do bad things happen, but I know why bad things happen. And at the end of the day, I, I, I can say bad things happen, and we're in a wake of bad things happening, are we not, in our nation? I can say bad things happen because we're sinful people, and we've broken what God gave us stewardship over. But God hasn't left us alone. So, before there was a problem, God had a plan. It says, in him, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for our redemption, not only to rescue us from our sins, but also to transform us so that we progressively quit sinning and look more and more like our creator redeemer made in the image of God. We become Christ-like. And then ultimately, God is going to restore everything to perfection. And that's the hope that you and I have. That's the hope that's alive today. That's the hope that'll be alive tomorrow. That's the hope that's backed up by the empty tomb. This is the perspective that keeps us hoping and not falling into resentment and bitterness. So Mordecai, back to our story with Esther, when Mordecai makes that incredible statement, hey, deliverance will come. He knows enough of God's word to at least know that God is working to at least know that, hey, before there was a problem, God had a plan. The promised Messiah is a response to the problem of brokenness. The purpose of the Jewish people is a response to the problem of brokenness. This is the story of Scripture. And then 
into this, Mordecai says something to Esther that's incredible. That's incredible. Because not only did God have a plan before there was a problem, he's also got something else going on. And here's what he says. Who knows, Esther, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. In other words, Esther, maybe, because Mordecai knows God's providential. Mordecai knows God's sovereign. In other words, Esther, maybe you won that beauty contest not just because you were good looking. Maybe God knew that there was going to be a rash of evil threaten the existence of God's chosen people. And God needed someone to stand in the gap. And God needed someone to go to the king and beg for mercy for his people. And Esther, that might be you. Because Esther, this looks, this whole situation looks crazy like providence. It's like something our God might just do. And so he puts that in front of Esther. And he gives her that, 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 that opportunity, right? And, 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 and it's this, this, this who knows, perhaps, right? Who knows, Esther, this problem could actually become your platform. This problem could set you up, Esther, to fulfill your calling, to fulfill your purpose. But you're not looking at it that way right now, Esther. Let's change your perspective. Who knows, Esther, this problem could be part of your own transformation. And I would say these two things apply to you and I and our problems as well. That maybe our problems are not setbacks. Maybe they're setups to live our purpose. Maybe our problems are designed by God to help our own personal transformation so that we look more like our Creator Redeemer, so that we look more Christ-like. Maybe. Who knows? That's where faith comes in. Faith that says, you know, this is how God works. This is how God works. So let me share some handlebars. First is this. I think we got to unlearn something. Here's what we got to unlearn. Problems prevent God's good plans. That's a false statement. The greatest thing God's ever done is send Jesus. That was in a response to a problem, period, right? The gospel tells me this statement is false. So if ever I find myself talking to myself and I talk to myself this way, man, this is just keeping the best for me. This is just interfering with God's will for me. Man, this is crazy. I can't believe this problem is bigger than God's purpose. I have got to say, no, that is not true. That's a lie from Satan. So we got to unlearn that. That's just bad theology, and that's a prescription for hopelessness, bitterness, and resentment. Because here's what we need to understand. Those attributes of God that we've talked about, God's sovereign power and grace over us, are meant to inspire hope and courage, not worry and fear. God's sovereign power and grace over us should inspire hope and courage, not worry and fear. So if ever I'm facing a problem with worry and fear as the dominant emotion, not that they're going to be totally eliminated, then I'm looking at the problem incorrectly. 
Now, I just want to share something with y'all. This is a personal statement, but I think a lot of you could amen it and agree with it, or if you can't today, you will in about three years. Here it is. God's plans for my life have almost never been my plans for my life. Now, I know there's a wave of bad theology out there, and you can find it on TV and send me a YouTube video, okay? I know that. That basically says, hey, if it's in your heart and you dream it, God's going to give it. Do you see in the story, Esther's plan was never to go to the king. Esther's plan was never to win a beauty contest. But Esther went to the king. And the rest is history. So I see it in Scripture time and time and time again that God's plans for my life almost never have been my plans for my life. God started the church with 12 guys. A lot of them were fishermen. If you ask them when they were little boys, hey, what are you, th- you going to be when you grow up? They said, I'm going to be a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee. They didn't say they were going to write Matthew and John. and say it, did they? Because God's plans for our lives are often not our plans for our lives. Second thing, always go back to who God is. We've got to have a memory of who God is. This is why for the Jewish people celebrating Passover, the, the exodus out of, out of Egypt is so significant. This is why Mordecai is able to look back and see the hand of God that rescued his people out of Egypt and from the hands of Pharaoh that got his people out of the proverbial rock and hard place when God made I-75 through the Red Sea. Right? So go back to who God is. For us on this side, this is why we need to observe the Lord's Supper. It's why we do that monthly at First Wednesday and monthly in our weekend services because the cross and the empty tomb remind us of who God is. Problems tend to cause us to have spiritual amnesia. This is why we've got to go back and always remind ourselves of who God is. Third, always, always, always seek revelation. It's more powerful than reason. Now, here's what I mean. Most of us, when we have a problem, we immediately say, why? Why now? Why this? And we're focused on reason, right? Revelation is when God reveals something to you, and God doesn't always reveal his reasons, but he still speaks. God God never gives Esther, never gives Mordecai a reason for why Haman did what he did. And they don't even ask. They immediately go to God, how can you use, what are you doing, how do we participate in in, in your story? We can spend a lot of energy on reason and miss the revelation. Okay, revelation is when God speaks. Reason is us trying to figure stuff out that we may never be able to figure out this side of heaven. So when I say revelation, here's what I mean. When you face a problem, look for God to give answers like this. Who is God? He's sovereign. He's providential. He's gracious. He's he's great. Who am I becoming? Am I becoming bitter or resentful? That's not of God. So how does God want to use this to make me more of who he wants me to be? How is this part of my discipleship? What is God showing and teaching me about trusting him? How am I being positioned for God's purposes? Because remember, problems can become part of our platform. I love how the psalmist in Psalm 119 prays. I'm going to quote a paraphrased translation, but it covers the gist of the meaning. My troubles turned out all for the best. My problems turned out good. They forced me to learn from your textbook, from the Word of God. 
Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine. That's perspective, right? That's perspective. And then the final thing I would say with our problems is this. Listen, resolve always to be a participant, not a spectator. Problems become part of our story. Problems become part of our platform. Problems become an opportunity to move into and participate in the plan of God. Esther, who knows? Who knows? Perhaps you're here for such a time as this. Because isn't this true? And some of you, and I put this up here, you may not believe it. But I think the longer you walk with God, the more you understand the ways of God, the goodness of God, we can, we can, we can say this. Would we not rather lament and grow in God's will than exist in temporary comfort outside of it? Yeah, we're going to lament. Problems cause real raw emotions, and we've got to deal with those in a healthy, holy way. But we'd rather grow inside of God's will than exist outside of it. Esther, you can be quiet. You can stay in the harem until the king calls you for it. It's been 30 days. Or Esther, you can pray and fast for three days, and you can go to the king. And she chose to pray and fast for three days and go to the king. Because here's the beautiful thing. Before there was ever a problem in the Persian kingdom, there was a plan from a holy, good, and gracious God. And we worship him today, and we have hope of salvation today because our greatest problem Sin and death, right? Sin and death, and then face a holy God with a sentence and a verdict that we're guilty before him. God's glorious plan is that Jesus took our place so we could be adopted, so we could be saved, so we could be put into the forever family of God. And God had that plan before you and I existed. And we praise him for that. And if you need to receive that good news this weekend and say yes to God's yes to you, say yes to God's plan to include you in Christ, say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'll invite you to do that. I'll also invite you, if there's a problem you're facing, would you take hope that before you face that problem, God had a plan. God had a plan. Let's all pray together. God, I thank you for everybody here. I pray, God, that we've heard from you. I pray, God, that we have found hope again. I pray there's a birth of hope. I pray there's a birth of joy, God. I pray there's a birth of faith and, and fresh faith, God, as we look to you, trust in you, and we see in the very gospel what means good news, that the good news is your plan in response to the bad news of, God, our rebellion and our sinfulness and our brokenness. So, God, you have always had a plan whenever there's been a, whenever there's been a problem. So, Lord... I thank you for your sovereignty. I thank you for your providence. And I thank you, God, for the hope that we can have as we look to you. So, God, I pray that in some supernatural way, our perspectives have been changed this weekend. And that we look to you the same way Mordecai looked to you. You are a deliverer. You are a hope giver. You are a promise keeper. 
It's just who you are, and that's who you'll always be. And for that, we say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, and thank you, Holy Spirit. In your name, we pray, we hope, we have joy. In your name, we pray. Amen.